Tracy. So, a very good day. Welcome, everybody. It is the last day of May, May the 31st, 2022. Uh, the sun has been roasting hot the last couple of days here in Spain, and um, this often affects the technology. I've been trying to contact Eric for a while, and we now have made a contact. So, first of all, I'm going into the car down about an hour, and uh, we'll get to Albia. And I'll find out how Eric is and what his weather is like. So good morning, Eric. What sort of weather is it and what are you feeling and uh, how's life? Well, good morning, Vince. Uh, the weather is absolutely excellent, as you described it. It's been uh, just, uh, everything's just turned on lately, aren't it, in the last few weeks. Yeah. And no, this is just the way we like it, I mean. Not, it, it's hot, but it's not too hot, in my opinion. It's just right. It's yeah. Okay. Now we've we've had a bit of a slow start because of the technology. First of all, my computer kept telling me the password that I've been, which I've put in and been using for months on end, is not correct. So I had a battle with the computer. Then when I phoned your phone, uh, apparently it was only not making a noise your end. But uh, we've got it all sorted now. But the trouble is. Um, you know, everybody is relying on technology and everybody should be knowing by now that technology lets us down. And I think this is where we're going to start talking about because we've got a big hoo-ha going on with the Champions League and, of course, the um, shenanigans outside the stadium before the match even began. And, uh, you know, uh, much as obviously uh, people are probably just as quick to talk about the uh, the game i find the whole business is now thinking about technology is more important because if people think that all you do is you send somebody a little ticket or something on a, on an email and then um you know somebody on the other side of the the planet or somewhere you know certainly miles away um turns up at another ground and tries to get in and if the technology doesn't marry the technology at the turnstile uh, then apparently from what many people have told the uh, media various media um then they couldn't get in let me just tell you what the papers are telling you i'm pretty sure you've read some of it anyway but um for our listeners, UEFA has commissioned an independent report into the scene outside the ground that delayed Saturday's Champion League final. For those that have been on another planet, uh, Real Madrid beat Liverpool 1-0. Kick-off at the Stade de France in Paris was delayed by over half an hour, with Liverpool ticket holders uh, seen waiting in huge queues and French police later using tear gas on crowds. Now, uh, we saw this. So, you know, whatever the French might say, the um, majority of people have given the impression that the crowds were peacefully waiting as far as you could be with a little bit of agitation, obviously, because you want to get into the ground to watch the game and you've just travelled a long way and maybe, um, you know, yes, tempers might be a little bit frayed. Um, but... I think that um, the French authorities complained of what they called industrial-scale ticket fraud amid a row over the game's policing. 
Now, the French have got a sports minister. His name, or her name, I think it must be, Amélie Odu Castera. But it doesn't really make any odds there because basically the big thing is she's the sports minister. And she said there were no problems regarding Madrid supporters and the Spanish side had controlled their travelling fans better than Liverpool who had let their supporters out in the wild. Now, that in itself tells me that somebody at a political level is creating a little bit of trouble. And uh, the trouble is, you see, uh, the Liverpool chairman then, Tom Werner, or Werner, has since written a letter to the uh, lady concerned demanding an apology for her comments. He wrote, The events that occurred in and around the Stade de France on Saturday night at the UEFA Champions League final were not only incredibly dangerous for all who attended... Uh, but um, raise serious questions about the organisation and operation of the event. This should be the focus of all interested parties today after they're pursuing a blame game uh, strategy via the press conference. Well, I mean, the match had been transferred from uh, Russia because of the uh, Ukrainian situation. And obviously, um, you know, you would half expect the French to be able to organise something pretty well. I think in previous years they've done a reasonable job, haven't they? What what do you think? Um, well, I mean, obviously we've, we've all been to big games and it is nice to get there early. You know what I say? Well, I'm, I'm more cup-final date person, you know, when it's a, a fake up. And you go, you get down there, it's like a good day out and everybody looks forward to it. And if you're lucky enough to able to afford your family to go with you, smashing, you know, because it's a kind of a special day and you get down there but I certainly don't think that the fake tickets help things because if you're in a queue and nowadays when you go to a football match you like slice the, the uh, your card through the uh, thing at the side of the turnstile or whatever and you just go in so if you've got a fake ticket and you can't get in and the turnstile's not moving everybody's saying come on mate hurry up you know hang on a minute you know and then somebody comes along and they say, oh, it's a fake ticket. So that means that person then, having probably bought it in good faith, has now got to turn back and, and go well, go back. And it, can you imagine a queue of a load of people and you're able to do that? To me, it just, it, it, it just doesn't, doesn't make sense. But I think that didn't help the things of fake tickets for starters. Then, obviously, you know as well as I do, not just the French police, police in Europe are not like the Bobbies in England, are they? Them days are gone. You know, and the Bobby says, give you a smack down the back here, and then you got home and didn't tell anybody you'd been in trouble. Nowadays, the police are ready for you. You've got armour, you've got blinking face masks, you've got everything for any kind of trouble. And obviously, in my opinion, the French people were just waiting for some trouble to start. Well, it seems to have picked on Liverpool and they can't understand because Real Madrid supports can be just as bad well, I... over the years. So it's not just Liverpool, which a lot of people are putting it down to, you know, kind of all the Hazel Stadium and Hillsborough and stuff like that, where Liverpool have been involved in big games and big clashes. So uh, it's just that I think, no disrespect, the French don't like the English. 
You'd think all these police have already turned up now for this game. Where are they when they're letting all these people come over on the boats when they've something allowed? Allow it to happen, you know, because it's dangerous waters and they can't even get police to guard the shores, you know, to stop people doing that. But all of a sudden now, all they've, they've come out of nowhere. Uh, you know, it's just like you say, policy, policy uh, of the French, well, I don't know if it's the government or whoever runs the police or whatever. To me, it, it's... It's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Well, there, but, is, there is more to this than meets the eye. There, there's no doubt that there is more to this. Uh, I think you, you've got only really two options. Number one, if there is a ticket fraud, then obviously that's got to be completely and utterly investigated and those perpetrators um, tracked down because people could have been badly injured. Now, you go a little bit further than that because, you know, you know what we do with our podcast. We do try and look at all sorts of things that other people aren't talking about. One thing that, that I picked up, first of all, when they were interviewing the Liverpool fans, um, a number of high-profile people were telling us what had gone on. Jason McAteer, who used to play for Liverpool, who's now a pundit somewhere, he was saying that his wife was mugged and that his son was beaten up. I mean, he was quite shaken up by the whole thing and he was visibly, um, you could see, very visibly emotional about it. Gary Lineker has spoken up about being in Paris and that, you know, the Liverpool fans, uh, according to most people, the Liverpool fans were well behaved. When uh, I looked at the people that were being interviewed, many of them seemed to be very middle class, shall we say. And I got really quite a surprise at how many seemed to be uh, going to the football match that didn't really look to me your average spectator. Um, you know, but I mean, the thing was, this all began, if you remember, weeks before when Jurgen Klopp actually queried the the allocation of the tickets, because I think there was 80,000 tickets and only 20,000 went to each of the two clubs, if you remember that. Yeah, 19,000 it was, or something like that, but you're right, and he, he did question it. Yeah, definitely. And then that that then means that there are forty thousand for UEFA, um, you know, disposition, and uh, they can give them to the pals, and other people then can sell them on. So ticket fraud, really. If if you really went to look at the fact that uh, number one, if you've got a Champions League final, I would expect the majority of the tickets to go to the fans from each of those clubs that got there. In other words, I would expect something like 30,000 for each of the two clubs and maybe 20,000 for UEFA and UEFA's cronies. So, yes, of course, business always is talking. Business is always being conducted. So it would make sense that somewhere along the line there will be some freebies for distinguished guests and um, members of other associations connected with football. Um, the other thing that I picked up, and I don't know if you saw this. First of all, I saw um, a, a still of a little boy rubbing his eyes, and it didn't look to me as if there was any distress in his eyes. You, you know, apparently he just had tear gas. And then I happened to pick up a piece of um, TV, 
where the same still and the same boy was there. And it didn't look to me like he'd, he'd um, had anything in his eye, not from what I saw. So I can only talk about what I could see via the TV camera and the picture that I saw in the paper. So again, you half expect troublemakers to be in the media uh, putting things together, A, B or C, for whatever reason they want to do this. Um, UEFA. I don't think UEFA's uh, come out of this particularly well. And, um, y you know, there's not much else we can talk about till this uh, investigation now takes place. But then I look at the next thing this morning when I pick up on my computer. Uh, not that it, this has just uh, happened this morning or anything. Uh, but we now look at UEFA and uh, they've got this new competition that starts straight away. I mean, these footballers, um, they've just had a gruelling season. And I'm now reading UEFA Nations League 2023, everything you need to know. And, um, uh, I mean, what do you know about this competition? Well, isn't it, it, this is the international one, isn't it? The internationals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that started last year, or maybe two years ago now, uh, over the period of time whereby... Everybody gets like seed into a group of four teams, and they all play one another. And they all go up and down the list. It's, a, it's all a bit complicated, but at the end of the day, it's just another way of making money, as you've, as we've said so many times. UEFA, all they are, are greedy people, very, very greedy. They can't. If there's an empty day somewhere, they want to get some on that day where they can make money out of it, and that's what's happened with football. The lads now, like the England team, who are up training, and they, you know, it's, it's like you say, was it the, was it don't, they don't shoot horses or something? That film was made. That's many, many right. Yes. Ago. Yeah. You know, you know, they shoot horses, don't they? And they just like flogging them. Look, they all know they're massively overpaid, but we we don't believe anybody should be whipped to death. You know, it's like working a donkey until it until it drops, kind of thing. You know. No matter how much work the donkey puts in, poor little bugger, you know, it has to yeah. keep carrying on. And that's what's happening to footballers. Fortunately, they do get well repaid. And like you say, when they get on the party mark and retired, they probably got a big house or maybe three houses or or whatever they want to spend the money on. But the point is, we know it's not as easy as it looks. I mean, we can all say I'd love to play football for life my living, you know, instead of going down the mine or instead of going in the foundry or instead of going in engineering or whatever your job is. Do you know what I mean? So footballers get treated as though they, oh, they can play another game, what are you worry about? But the people like Klopp and the people like uh, Guardiola, they've been mentioning that these people are human beings and you, you can't just keep flogging them. No. And it's right what they say. We just can't keep flogging them. And this is another perfect case in which as over the years I've said many times, I have no absolute interest in the Champions League for the reason it's just a complete rip-off of fair supporters. Not proper supporters. Proper supporters who, who are part of that club. And then they, I think if we draw Madrid away, then the price of their, their, their fare goes up. Three times, not double, three times it goes up on that particular weekend or that yeah. day when you're playing in Madrid. And this is what's happened. And it's just a rip up, up all and down Europe. And these people are getting money out of it. And 
to me, it just doesn't hit him. But as I said, that's the reason why UEFA and all them lot in Europe have no time for them. And let's stick to our own game. We, they're all jealous of the Premier League because we've got a great league, we've got great teams. Even our teams at the bottom are good sides. They're not yeah. rubbish, you know. So, uh, it, Eric, I'm going to play. Really, a I'm going to play a jingle, and then I'm going to say something which uh, we'll we'll start looking at. Here's the jingle. It's Talking Football with the Silver Fox, Eric Marbles. Okay, so um, basically, many, many weeks ago, we were talking about things, and my suspicion. Uh, was that uh, football is being used because you can see the control over people the game has. Um, and I think these people that want to uh, exert their influence and control over everybody, I think they're using football um, to be some sort of weapon against people, um, which really we've all fallen for hook, line and sinker. You know, I love football and you love football as well. And... I think we're both ready for a little break from the actual type of football that the intensity brings. And that's my worry now, that this is what football has become. Because I can't really remember these nation uh, games. And apparently it's only been moved to this time because Qatar is the uh, venue for the World Cup. And so in the middle of our normal season... We all stop and we all bow down to the sheikhs in their tents. And basically we all move away from our um, leagues. I mean, it was bad enough, if you, if you think about it. They've started disjoining the, the, the season. We'd start, we'd have a couple of games. Then we'd have some friendlies, international friendlies. Then we'd have the Champions League. Then we'd start again. Then we'd have a little break. I mean, it's got to a stage, really, where you don't know whether you're coming or going, do you? Well, you just have to make your money, then, as, as best way you can, as, as much as you can. I mean, the epidemic didn't help most clubs, and uh, imagine it at a lot of countries as well, uh, with the football, you know, the crowd's not going to the game. It seems like Madrid, you know, where they've got... They, they were 100,000 or, say, 90,000 now. And Barcelona, people like that, where they had to use their own small little grounds to play the league games. So they, there's been a lot of money lost, and they're all trying to recuperate it. But the people at the top, they had the greedy ones who were trying to get it all. And slowly but surely, football survived it because of the fact that they kept it going, even though there were no crowds there. So, mm. for me... It's just good to see football back and have crowds back. But people forget, if all of a sudden somebody says, right, we're going to stop people running on the pitch, we're going to stop play behind closed doors again, that'll soon cause a few problems, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, OK, I remember somebody much more intelligent than the average person saying uh, how he sort of made his money. And he said he he made his money by the fact that he can he learned how to join up the dots. And that's what I'm trying to do now, trying to join up the dots between what 
happened, of course, is the Qatar um, FIFA taking us out to play the World Cup. And there's something that's interesting this morning. See whether you think of this. It's FIFA and Qatar's claims that the 2022 World Cup will be carbon neutral involve creating creative accounting and are misleading. This is a new report that's come out. Carbon Market Watch says the tournament will not achieve a net zero carbon footprint despite claims it would be the first football World Cup to do so. Researchers believe calculations ignore major sources of emissions. In a statement, organisers said it was speculative and inaccurate to draw conclusions on their commitment. Uh, in September, the organisers detailed how they would deliver the first carbon-neutral FIFA World Cup in the history of the event. They pointed to the compact nature of the tournament, use of renewable energy at the eight stadiums and use of solar power in the country during the World Cup. A spokesperson for the Supreme Committee for Delivery and Legacy told BBC Sport we're on track to hosting a carbon-neutral World Cup. The methodology, methodology used to calculate the carbon-neutral commitments is best in practice and was designed to be based on actual activity data after the World Cup has concluded. This will be published and any discrepancies will be explained and offset. No other country has engaged so deeply with its citizens to ensure a sustainable legacy is left behind after a World Cup. The report's author, uh, Gilles Dufran, uh, says the carbon neutrality claims is simply not credible, adding, despite a lack of transparency, the evidence suggests that the emissions from the World Cup will be considerably higher than expected by the organisers and the carbon credits being purchased to offset these emissions are unlikely to have any positive impact on the climate. Uh, he told the BBC, again, calling the event itself carbon neutral is problematic. Even if the accounting had been done properly, it gives a false sense of achievement. It says we can continue to host this mega event every four years and can continue to do that at no significant cost to the climate. I mean, this is like it's like another language for me. I don't know whether you feel this. <laughs> it's like football, really. There's a ball, take the ball, ball in that end of story, you know. The complicating things, everything is being... I mean, in the first place, it shouldn't be Qatar, the World Cup, I mean. And in midway through a winter as well, where by the weather there is going to be too hot to even play football. Uh, in England, normally we're going through our normal stages of the Premier League and all, all our divisions. And uh, we can't kind of... I can't we can't gauge the fact that's what's going to happen next year. There's going to be a month without any league games. I don't know the teams are going to survive without it. You know, we're changing it to World Cup. We've just gone through a, a pandemic, and now it's going on to this. I don't know. It's, it's over my head. I've got to give you that. Well, I, I don't. I can't understand this. I mean, uh, June of last year, a FIFA report said the 2022 World Cup would produce up to 3.6 million tonnes of carbon di dioxide, uh, which is more than some nations produce in a year. I mean, how on earth can anybody predict uh, what what's going to happen when all the people uh, all travel to the same place, uh, roasting up part of the desert, 
Um, they're going to need lots of uh, extractor fans and cooling systems uh, straight away. And, I mean, that's before you even talk about all the people travelling there and all the different uh, things. I mean, any World Cup is going to have um, some sort of a carbon footprint if you want to use that sort of language. I mean, it's absolutely bonkers how they're trying to kid us, isn't it? Well, it's back to the old story, you know, divert people's attention to something else and, and and so on and so forth. As you say this weekend, no disrespect to you, I, I know you're a Liverpool fan, but because of all this crowd trouble and everything, nobody's mentioned the fact that Liverpool lost the game 1-0. You know, hardly anybody spoke about the game. You know, in, in all fairness, I watched the game and I've watched Liverpool now. They played in three, I think, you know, three cup finals. Liverpool this year, right? Yeah. And they haven't scored a goal. No. Look, you know that? look, I picked that and up. They've got the best forward line. Well, on paper, they've certainly got one of the best forward lines in the world. Never mind in England and in Britain. You know, so they played three games and nobody's questioned Klopp about why they're not putting scoring goals. And the reason is. It's something I've mentioned many times about Liverpool. They have no creative midfield players to give them lads up front to score goals. But nobody's talked about well, football. It's all been about the crowd. Eric, um, so it's another diversion. Eric, you, you are right. To I don't think the diversion's been caused by Liverpool, by the way, but... Um, that you were right to mention this because I picked it up from uh, the Manchester City supporters, you know, all talking about the same thing. And quite honestly, when you see a team create 24 chances and uh, Real Madrid, I think, had four chances and out of the 24 chances, we hit the, the post twice, by the way, then you name Courtois as the man of the match. When you look at the numbers of times that we've had games like that, were I would differ in a technical sense from you is I don't think the problem is necessarily midfield. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had those opportunities. The problem that I've I've outlined this many times during the season, and unfortunately, um, you know, my Liverpool friends uh, or supporters that, 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 that don't agree with me, I think what we miss is somebody like a Harry Kane when he's on form. A I mean, when Salah's on form, the ball goes in the net. He's not been on form for the past eight weeks. Why has he not been in form or on form? For me, all strikers go through those sorts of things. That's one side. The other side is talking about money and not being happy with the best part of £350,000 a week coming in and then upsetting your other forward, uh, Mane, who is now talking about leaving. Um, the whole thing is because people are greedy. Instead of saying, hang on, I get £350,000 a week winning the lottery every week and I am not happy. Sorry, that is really, really, that t to me is greed the ultimate in greed. Your teams are the same. Our team's the same. Most of these teams at the top of the um, Premier League have got players who they should not be earning this sort of money. This is another aside that gets everybody talking about the wrong things. That's what I think Liverpool's problem's been. Because if you think about it, we've scored lots of goals. But the, the I won't say drying up because we still have goals coming in from other parts of the team. But the big two, once... Marnie and uh, Salah had begun to maybe have a little fallout regarding Salah's contract. That's when I think we've had our problems. 
I don't think it's come from midfield. I've always said, by the way, if we had a Kevin De Bruyne, I'd be a lot happier. But then again, who's got a Kevin De Bruyne? There's nobody. He's a one-off. Yeah, no. He's amazing. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. But with Liverpool, I'm sorry for... They're an industrious side. They work for one, hard for one another. It's not like a, as older football comes natural. The individual football comes natural. People like Salah scoring goals, Manny scoring goals. And as luck would have it, that day I saw you signed it, he was slotted in fantastic for Liverpool. Yeah. So that's not been a bad thing for him. But the point is that midfield is still, in my opinion, the reason why. He, they rely so much on the fullbacks to create the chances Liverpool. And therefore, and I mentioned it last week before the game against the, at Real Madrid, that the deep weakness could be at right back, where he, he's always going forward, Arnold, and that left, left winger of theirs is always so quick. Yeah. And we saw what he did to City. He picked the ball at once up, man. City played for Nandino at right back, which wasn't a very good move. But that's another story. And he got the ball, and he just went zip past him, straight through him, right through the City team. And I thought, that's going to be a danger for Liverpool because if Arnold's not got his, his head on. And there's been a few people, when they've been talking about the game, said that he, he was a bit to blame for the goal, you know. When, yeah, uh, well, he was. He was so out. I, I, I can see that coming, the left wing against Arnold, because uh, he, he's a great attacking player, but defensively, it's not like Well, that. now, Eric, um, we've said this for, for weeks, months on end. Um, also, we had another player, very, very similar, Glenn Johnson, if you remember, a few seasons ago. Yeah, yeah. And for Chelsea as well. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, uh, you can't have your cake and eat it. These are not robots. The trouble is, I think we're all being led along this road of uh, becoming robotized. And um, I think, quite honestly, that um, y- y- you really... I, I think that the, if you think about the times that we... Look, just look at the statistics. 24 chances, hit the post twice, Courtois was man of the match, and he played out of his skin. He was wonderful. Um, we could, we should have won that about 3-1. Take away the fact that the goalkeeper was so good, there wasn't a problem with the midfield. There isn't a problem. The, the, the problem has been... It can be strengthened, of course it can. I'd be a fool if I, if I didn't see that. But I do think Fabinho's a good player, Thiago's a good player. Henderson is not a bad player. In fact, he's quite inspirational all around what he does with the team. I think we've got to get things looking a little bit more rational again. We lost 1-0. You know, if we'd been beaten 4-0, I'd agree completely maybe with some of the things you've said. But we got beaten 1-0. And we were beaten by a guy who was able to do the same to Manchester City. And if you can do the same to teams like Man City and Chelsea, then we're in good company. I think the thing is, you see, I think people forget that the game, yes, it's a one-off. So one team can score a goal and everybody can be thinking how fantastic things are. And, I mean, they weren't better than us. We played a lot better than they did. But they took that one chance and therefore, I, I think more importantly, I think the first of their goals was a goal. Yes, because it should have counted. Well, you've got to remember, we've gone through to PSG, Chelsea, Man City and now Liverpool. And every game you could guarantee they should have lost a game, Real Madrid. We can all say what you were just saying about Liverpool should have won. City should have won. We should have been six up at drinking 
our ground. But you know, but that's football, isn't it? And that's why we love the game because we we can't see what's going to happen. Nobody knows. Like when City played the Villa, the end last game of the season, who'd have said Villa would have gone two 0 up that day? Nobody in a million years would have said that. Well, that's what happens, and that's what makes football such exactly, a great game. exactly. This is my point. I think we've got to you look. We're looking for answers all the time. We're looking for ways to improve the team. I don't think anybody, if they're going to be totally fair, and people get terribly prejudiced. I've seen the most stupid comments on the um, internet by the most people who are you'd, you'd expect to have a, a great intelligence, but they don't. They become stupid when football games are con- uh, considered. Um, look at the season we've just been through. We've had, um, obviously, Man City... 15, 14 points ahead. Um, I mean, we, we clawed back those 14 points and we came to within one point of you. My my, uh, my thinking would be that had uh, you not had Liverpool really chasing you, it wouldn't have been a healthy league. Um, but we've got two of the finest teams in the world, if not the best two teams in the world, separated by one point. So let's not get carried away with the difference between the two teams. However, I would agree that when I watch Manchester City playing, they be, they can turn on and score very, very fluidly, very quickly. We don't seem to have that unless Mane and Salah are playing at their best. And I think they started... It's It's been apparent to me there was a time when I didn't think they were passing to each other when they could have done... I got the feeling that once Marnie started, uh, sorry, when Salah started talking up his money, um, that then went up a gear. And then when Marnie now has lost the Africa Cup of Nations, I oh know he's won the African Cup of Nations, hasn't he? Um, Salah's lost that. Um, when you actually look at the two guys that we've had playing for us, I mean, they have had an intensity in that season so far, which has been absolutely amazing. It take it would take the sting out of anybody if you then got a, a squabble. And let's be honest about it, we're all human. If you know that somebody uh, playing on the wing is getting uh, 350,000 and putting in for a rise, and you know you're pulling your socks off and, and working really hard, because he's a great player, um, Sadio Mane, um, What's going to happen? You've got the agent on the phone. Hey, seen Salah's money's going up. And uh, why don't you uh, go in and see the boss and start putting in for a rise yourself? You can see, I'm I'm assuming, of course I'm assuming, but you could see that would be quite plausible. I don't think there's much wrong with the team, if I'm honest. I think that if we can get hold of somebody like Harry Kane, and there was talk about possibilities... Um, see who they bring in because they need somebody um, to compete with Mane and Salah. DS is good, but I don't think he's the 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 absolute predator that we need. Um, you know the talk type of player, I mean. And I think um, to only lose by one goal in the Champions League final and one point in the Premier League, I don't really think you can you can't ask for a lot more. All you can ask for is two goals and um, what, two points. I mean, you couldn't really ask for more, could you? Well, that's football, as I said before. Uh, Man City lost the final last year, 1-0 to Chelsea, you know. So, And we won the league last year. So it, it swings and roundabouts. It's just like a, a, a period of time now whereby Man City have held, held all the 
of cards other than that year when there were no crowds there when Liverpool won the league. And uh, of all times, then you, you'd think Liverpool needed the crowd and they went and won the league without a crowd. It was fantastic, that. Yeah. You know, because was, football was just a strange time then when there were no crowds watching. And that was just one of the things which happened. Well, Man City 2 won the league, Premier League. You know, four out of five years is unbelievable. Yeah. Because nobody ever won it like two years on the trot. Never mind, four out of five years. So, it, it, and it's 38 games. It's so difficult. It's uh, it's one of those situations whereby you, you throw in the Champions League and then you get to the final of that as well. And it, the work you've got to go through, like, yes. all them games you've played. And then City won the League Cup four years on the trot. They won it four years on the trot. You know, the, the, I was listening to the, our chairman the other day. They have do an interview at the end of the season to review the season. And he said, we go into every game, every competition to win it. We don't think of any competition being inferior. Every game, we, whether it be the League Cup or the FA Cup, we go into every game to win it, you know. And he was right, they do say it. And that, that is his mentality, Guardiola. And that is the difference between Guardiola and... Uh, Klopp at times, you know, I think Klopp's a little bit arrogant, he's a bit, got a bit of German in him, which makes him, gives him arrogance and makes him a bit tougher actually. I, I, I don't think look, the two teams. Yeah, there's not much between them and in, in fact if you look at what you've done this year you've you've won the, the Premier League um, you've got to the quarterfinals and the semi-finals of the other competitions, I mean we've got two cups, we've got second in the Premier and runner-up in the Champions League. You can't really do a lot better. You can't. You can, I mean, it doesn't matter what team you come from. Call it any team. Call it a fantasy line t- team. If you came uh, with those results at the end of the season, you would be absolutely chuffed to bits. That's how I feel. And I would now turn to another topic, which um, really I feel more uh, is more relevant... Let me just play the jingle and then I'll tell you where I'm going with this one because this is interesting. It's Talking Football with the Silver Fox, Eric Barnes. Okay, uh, can tell you also, by the way, from a report recently out. Um, 1% of Manchester City fans live in the UK. That's quite revealing as well. But that wasn't where I was going. You know, you've had success. We've had success. We want it all. OK, you know, it's a bit greedy. But, you know, let's look at Chelsea. Now, Chelsea had a great team. They've got Thomas Tuchel, who's a good, good trainer, very, very good trainer. They had... Roman Obramovich, who basically, um, nobody can prove exactly what his influence is, apart from the fact that we know that he did have contact with with uh, Putin. OK, so now um, I'll read from this morning's papers, Chelsea's 4.25 billion sale to a consortium led by the American investor Todd Burley and private equity firm Clear Lake Capital has been completed. The club was put up for sale in March before the previous owner, Roman Abramovich, was sanctioned over his links to Russian President Vladimir Putin. 
Uh, as I say, still nothing has come up to prove to me that he was laundering money or doing anything apart from the fact that uh, we know there had been something, by the way, in the press a couple of years ago about um, whether his money had come from Siberia in the right way. But, you know, going by this report, Chelsea then had been operating under a special government licence which would have expired on the 31st of May, which would be today. Burley said that he was honoured and wanted to make fans proud. The consortium fought off 11 serious rivals to become the new owners in a sale process that started on the 2nd of March and comprised more than 250 inquiries. We're honest to be, we're, we are honoured to become the new custodians of Chelsea Football Club, he said. We're all in 100% every minute of every match. Our vision as owners is clear. We want to make the fans proud. Along with our commitment to developing the youth squad and acquiring the best talent, our plan of action is to invest in the club for the long term and build on Chelsea's remarkable history of success. I personally want to thank ministers and officials in the British government and the Premier League for all their work in making this happen. The UK government, which said on Wednesday it would issue a licence for the sale of the club, does not want Abramovich to receive any of the proceeds from the sale, which will instead go into a frozen bank account to be donated to the charities supporting victims of the war in Ukraine. So without any um, court, without any uh, jurisdiction, the British government have decided that Abramovich is... Uh, going to forfeit all, all that. Actually, it probably won't mad, matter too much in terms of money. But I don't know about you, Eric. I would have preferred a little bit more proof. I don't know whether or not, you, you know, uh, whenever I've seen Abramovich, at least he comes to the games. At least he's seen at the games. I wouldn't mind betting you these owners will be at the... There'll be a flurry at the start and then they'll all go back to America and probably won't come to the games that often. What's your feeling about it all? Well, they have their own clubs in America anyway. Most of them, don't they? You know, they're already involved with other teams in America, whether it be uh, American football or baseball or stuff like that, you know, whereby they've all got other irons in the fire, so to speak, and they're using England now as a way of uh, investing the money. But another way, you know, in, in case their, their games go down... Uh, it just seems to me as though that's what's happening. It's very difficult now to see uh, how... I, I can't... Everybody last year said Chelsea was going to win the league. Let's get that straight now. Before the season started, when they were all telling us how good Chelsea was, you know, when Thomas Tato took over and they were winning games and everybody said, uh, oh, who finishes above Chelsea wins the league. Well, at the end of the day, you know, like a soft belly Chelsea, don't they? I call them the Southern Softies because they, they haven't got the guts to go through the season to keep on winning and winning. And I think that's a problem with Chelsea. And it's a bit of a, a soft boys club, in my opinion. You know, yeah, but hang, hang on, reason. Eric. I'm sorry to, to take a different point of view with you. But look, I don't think anybody can be territorial about Manchester City or Liverpool or Chelsea or any of them. Because basically, our owners are not from anywhere near Liverpool or Manchester. And unfortunately, 
we're talking about a global um, situation. And so, you know, where you say Southern Softies, these are uh, are players from all around the world. And basically, um, I think the skill is now a a different skill where a manager has to take all sorts of nationalities and eventually craft them into one uh, complete unit, which, of course, Guardiola's done really successfully. Klopp is getting there. Uh, Thomas Tuchel has just really started his journey and had it interrupted by um, politics. And the other thing that is of a worry is, of course, the fact that the Americans have managed to do well in the ladies' game. So what have we had over the last year? We've had a lot more interest in the in the ladies' game. Now, I don't have a problem with this because when I was at the college, I was teaching the girls to play football. I was encouraging them to play football. But I was, uh, should we say, criticised, to say the very least, that girls should be playing football. And yet, you know now, uh, because we've had a, a visitor from Birmingham fanzine in, in the uh, radio station, um, that, you know, people who basically were telling us that uh, women had only two places, the bedroom and the kitchen, which was the quote I used from the guy that came on the radio. And we saw how quickly the phone rang and uh, that lady told him exactly what she thought. Um, you can see now the ladies game is beginning to be respected. They've got respected coaches. They've got some tremendous players. And again, they're not all from Manchester. They're not all from Liverpool. They're not all from London. They're from everywhere. It's a global thing. So I think we're going to be less territorial. You might call your team Manchester City. and I might call my team Liverpool. But when we look at the amount of influence from Manchester and from Liverpool, I'm afraid it ain't really the way you and I would like it to be, is it? Well, that's why football is so so global because of the fact that uh, the money's come into it through being able to sell it into other countries whereby they buy into the Premier League because, uh, I mean, a lot of people at one time, when they used, I think City used to have a Chinese player and uh, you reckon that once he signed a Chinese player they sold that many shirts, you know, in China because of that player, not just City. There'd been other club, Man United, he, he had one as well. And we've got, like, Son, who plays for uh, Tottenham now. He's South Korean. It's all around the world. So from, that's what made the Premier League the best league in the world because everybody wants to play in it. The days have gone now whereby Real Madrid just snapped the fingers and he went playing for Real Madrid. Snapped the fingers and he went playing for Barcelona. Them days have gone. Well gone. Because, fortunately, which is a good thing, I know you would agree, they have put a cap on in Spain of all the players, you know, yeah. wages and all that, yeah. which has stopped a lot of all these uh, top-notch players going to Spain. So, therefore, you know, it, it's going to affect them in the long term. But in the England, from our point of view, Premier League, it, it's still open now, so you know, where you can pay £100 million for a player and so on. So these things are, are global, but the only reason it's global and there's that much money is because of the advertising going around the world Instead of it just being like your local butchers in Burnley or somewhere like that, it's all around the world now. Even Burnley, you know, they must have supporters all around the world, different teams, different places. I, I just got the feeling that we're not... I don't know about next year. It's going to be another good year, I think. Well, I'll tell you what I would like, Eric. I don't know whether you'd agree with me with this, but I would like some rule which says that every team in the Premier League has got to have at least 
make it a nominal four English players playing in the league. I think that, quite honestly, the globalisation thing is wonderful, but um, Liverpool, we have, I think, two players. Uh, Manchester, I think you've only got one or two players. I think that we've got to a stage where money buys the success. I think the other thing that's very dangerous, and I've read an article which would back me up on this, which is basically the Americans are going to be so much in there, you know, we'll be sort of, oh, just well, take a minute, folks, while the goalkeeper is getting ready to take the free kick, we're going to be selling you some popcorn and some candy. So mm. then we'll have another 10 minutes or, you know, whatever, I'm exaggerating, but, you know, we'll have another break for advertising. And, you know, um, much as I think the Americans might do the Super Bowl very, very well, and maybe the ladies' football teams are getting the success they should have had and uh, are now and getting the attention and the rewards. Where does this go? Because I'm not happy with Mo Salah as one example, saying £350,000 a week is not enough. £350,000 a season should be enough. There's something radically wrong with people's... Uh, now, let me just finish this quick strand of thought. I think behind this, lurking behind this, is an easy way to convince people that playing football is far more important than being a doctor, being a teacher, being a, you know, um, it's taking away the dreams of people who basically should be proud of the work that they do. We've got guys that come every day and clean our bins. If they don't come, the place is absolute mayhem. If you look at Britain at the moment, they've got strikes being threatened from here, there and everywhere. You know, people have got to get the priorities right, Eric. That's what I think. Um, Your thoughts? Well, my opinion, and and it's political, is the fact that the people at the top in, in Britain... I don't care about people at the bottom. It's as simple as that. One for the rich and nothing for the poor. That's the way they want it. That's the way they want to keep it going back to them days when they, when they had servants in the house and everybody touched the brow and said, yes, sir, and no, sir. That's it. That they want to try and keep that, and in my opinion. The people at the top have never done anything to even life up for people, particularly at this moment in time when we're talking about the amount of money that the people with gas and oil are making profits and other people having to suffer paying large amounts, old money, old people having to pay money which they haven't really got and then they put themselves into debt. And which they, get, they like to get everybody into debt, you know, so that everybody has to go to work, so everybody has to do this, what they are told because of the old money. And that's what's happened over the years. Well, I've been alive anyway. Yeah. We never used to have anything in the street. We're all the same. Everybody was perfect. You know, everybody had nothing. And nobody cared. You know, we everybody was happy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But now it's, oh, they got a better car than us. And, oh, we've got a washing machine. You know, that's what's happened well, in, in my lifetime, which has been obviously 88 decades now. Yeah. And uh, I've seen it all happen. I've seen it change. And it's just the point is that, when it comes to politics and governments now, they are—they are. We're talking about you the away from being greedy. All the governments are greedy as well. All these people who are claiming expenses and on three houses and stuff like that. It can't be right, can it, when there's people homeless and people Totally agree. Totally agree with you, Eric. Everything you've said, I totally agree with. Um, 
I'm going to guide us back for the last eight minutes of the football. Yeah. Um, there were two things I wanted to mention to you. The first thing is staying with Chelsea. There was the bid that went in. I think it was the Candy Brothers, and uh, they've made the money in Britain, and they're big, big Chelsea fans. Now, I don't see any Chelsea fan in this guy who's come over from America. I just see money. So that's the first point. The second point is I look at the um, comments in the social media platforms with the likes of Gary Neville, um, you know, played for England, played for Manchester United, uh, goes on trying to be the wonderful pundit who's trying to be nice and, um, uh, you know, balanced with his views and everything. And then I see what he wrote about Liverpool losing the Champions League, you know, about how happy he was. This is the problem. Other people don't seem to be able to do this. I'm happy that Manchester City play good football and, all right, they just about beat us, but they beat us. I'm happy that we beat Chelsea, but I feel for the Chelsea fans in two cup final shootouts. I, I really do feel that Chelsea had got a good team during the year and then, you know, when they got to those finals, um, yeah, they, we were lucky and maybe it's these very fine margins, but... What I don't like is the hate that some people let spill out. Why can't they be happy that their neighbours have done well? I mean, you know, we, we had the worry that Everton looked like they were going to go down. I didn't want them to go down. Come on, you know, I'm from the same area. Why would I want Liverpool to have tremendous success and Everton to go down and all those people to be unhappy? I don't... That's not my way of life, Eric. You know, this hate that's yeah. built in with various fan bases is not... It's not healthy. It's not really... You're, sorry, you carry on. No, you only have to look at Gary Neville. When he was at Manchester United, he played Man City one of the derby games. And Michael, who was playing for Man City at the time, went to shake his hand and he just turned his back on him. That's the kind of guy he is, you know what I mean? So, so you don't be surprised when he's... He hates is the fact that Liverpool have won this or that Liverpool's done that. Because he's that kind of guy. He's a very jealous guy. He's very much Manchester United. And as far as I'm concerned, that shows you what kind of guy he is. When he won't shake hands with someone like Michael, who God, God knows he must have won half of the league teams, lead titles for Man United, some of the performances he put in Michael. And he gets to shake hands with him before the game, like he would do. I, I, I mean, Roy Keane's another one. He, he has a lot of bitterness in him. Yeah. You can feel it in the air when they're talking. Yeah. There's, a, there's a bitterness there. And it, it, to me, I know it sounds awful because I'm a City fan, but United kind of breed that kind of player. Do you know what I mean? And maybe mm. that's why the, the success has come in the, in the last, well, 10 years ago when Fergie were there. Maybe that's what he put into the players. Because he always reckoned the week before they played Liverpool, Fergie used to be on edge all week because he had to beat Liverpool. Mm. He didn't want more about City. Liverpool was a team he wanted to beat and, and it's passed on to the players and you can see that yeah. when you see him being talking on the, on the television. But anyway, that's that's another story. But that just shows you the type of player Gary, Gary never lives. 
Well, I think both uh, Manchester City and Liverpool, I think the one thing that you can say is that we've played attractive football, we've played good football, we've had this great pressing game, both teams playing like that, but we've also kept it clean. We haven't got many red cards or anything like that. Um, You know, you've got to have the odd hard tackle because that's part of the game. But I do think that, um, you you know, uh, listen... Before we extol the virtues of our club and nothing else, Nottingham Forest are back in the top flight. That can only be a good thing, can't it? Well, we, I mean, I'm, I think we are old enough to know. Funny when Brian Clough was there, was fantastic. He used to love to see him come on the telly and be interviewed. <laughs> and all right, well, you know what we used to talk, I mean? Yeah. He was brilliant. You know, in fact, I, I just listened to a programme on Talk Sport not long ago. It was called Revy's Angels. Doing anything but Angels, by the way. Leeds <laughs> United when Don Revy was there. Yeah. But that was a time when Cluffy took over. He said, get all your medals together and put them in that bin over there. He said, because you got them through cheating. You know, <laughs> that's what he told the players when he first got there. So there's never much doubt of it lasting very long, in my opinion. Mm. But we used to love Ryan Clough. And it all come through, like, through Derby County and not Forest. Because he, he, he don't forget one about crowds running on. He was one at first managers to punch somebody, you know, who come on and give him a right crack, back, you know. <laughs> and it was great, you know what I mean? And we we all stood, stood up for him in them days. And, and nowadays we get something like uh, well, Patrick Vieira, the who he's kicking out and that fan running at him. And I'm just glad he didn't get done for it because. It would have been a travesty just if Absolutely. Got done. Absolutely, because you know, no, uh, nobody so, uh, nobody should be attacking anybody at all. So, no. yeah. Um, well, you, you, you don't know what's going to happen when there's a big crowd of people running at you. You, you only need one to be a, a bit nasty with a knife or something like that these days. But anyway. Listen, um, I think we've lost a couple of good um, teams this year. I mean, obviously, I quite liked Watford uh, until they treated their managers badly. So I have no compassion for the people that own that club. Uh, I feel a bit sorry for Burnley because I think, again, until they got rid of Sean Dyche, I think think they would have stayed up personally. And Norwich have always tried to play reasonably attacking football, which, again, is a bit on the sad side. But we've got three good teams coming up. So what do you think of our three replacement teams? Well, first of all, Forest have deservedly come up because of the way they've run after the early starts of the season last year. They've been fantastic, not Forest. And I, I wanted them to come up. It's not because I don't like Huddersfield, because I, I like Huddersfield as well. In teams like Huddersfield, when you live in Manchester, it's a double to go play them in the Saturday afternoon. You're not many you could work your Saturday morning shift and then still get time to go and watch a game in the afternoon. Yeah. But Huddersfield, uh, it was a shame, but two years ago they had the chance he was in the Premier League. He had two years in Premier League and he couldn't sustain it. So they've had a goal. Forest has been out for 30 odd years and it's good to see them back in there. Yeah. Bournemouth, that's a different kettle of fish because they have a, only a ground which holds about 10,000 people, maybe 11 at the most, I think, just offhand. So they're never going to be struggling in the Premier League financially. But they, they've always played good football. And when they took Scott Parker on as manager, I thought that was a good move because having lost the lad to Newcastle, well, they hadn't lost him. He'd, he'd, 
he practiced when he got relegated. Yeah. The lad who's at Newcastle. Eddie Howe. Yeah. Yeah, Eddie Howe. He was a, a, a great football manager. And he, he wouldn't compromise his views. He always played attacking football. He won't let them who went down and put 10 players in front of the goal and played with putting a draw. He, he always went out to win a game. Yeah. And then the one who's come up again is another team. I've also had a chance in the Premier League for them. Uh, they've all had the chances. Whether they can sustain it, I don't know. Fulham's a little with a small ground, not got enough income, in my opinion, to yeah. keeping them with a Premier League. But like, I mean, you we just mentioned three teams that have done well. You look at Norwich, and I think of them of a little old village team where they <laughs> do the best every year. They play good football, and then. If you finish up getting relegated again, come up, go down. Come well, look, up, go down. Eric, you know. we've now just finished. We've gone for the hour, so I have to oh, well. uh, have to pull it together by saying thanks very much again for your for your company. And what will we be talking about this time next week? We'll be talking football with Eric the Silver Fox. Thank you, Eric. All right, cheers. Take care, mate. Bye bye. Bye bye. It's Talking Football with the Silver Fox, Eric Barnes.